Hey there, it's Jonathan Capehart, and welcome to K-Pop. Actor Jesse Williams lit up social media with his acceptance speech at the BET Awards last year. And so on this episode, you're going to hear more of his cultural criticism and the reason he co-created a new app that puts black expression center stage. So much of everything we consume is centered around whiteness, and then maybe they'll, do, they'll have to fill a quota and splash in some so-called diversity. Oh, there's so much more, including us reminiscing about that time we parted in the White House with Naomi Campbell? No, for real. And you can hear it all right now. Jesse Williams, it is uh, fantastic to have you on the podcast. Thanks for coming in. My pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. So I'd seen snippets of your your BET speech from from last year. Yeah. But I'll admit that I hadn't watched it in its entirety until I was preparing for this. How dare you? I know. I know. I'm bad. I'm bad. I'm a bad black man. But listen, that speech was so powerful so beyond on point and so eloquent did you have that already planned cuz you were speak you were speaking from the heart there was yeah. no teleprompter and yet you gave this incredible sort of diagnosis of what the country had been going through up until that point i believe this was november or december june, of 2016 this was june J- july end july. of june something like that yeah um and so where did, where did all that come from? Well, it came from our lives, right? It came from lived experience. But, uh, you know, I, I did have some bullet points drawn out. I, I, as I've said before, I was, uh, I was off shooting a movie at the time, really engrossed in this really, like, f***ed up, traumatized character who was a homeless war veteran, who was a drug addict, who had been living um, in squalor. And so I was spiritually kind of tucked away in this place, living alone in a hotel in Atlanta wow. for months, kind of you know, not method, but really getting, being in, living in a dark place. And uh, I got a day off to fly to L.A. from Atlanta, do the show, and then fly right back. Hmm. So this was my little window. So I didn't ha- I say that to say I didn't have much prep time because I had to be focused on the, I like to do one job at a time whenever possible and, and give my all and then move on to something else rather than being spread too thin. And uh, so I, on the flight, I did jot down a bunch of notes and thought, kind of bullet points of things I think and know and and feel like I want to touch on depending on the vibe of the room what I did what I what I will uh, also say is I kept in mind that I was at a creative arts perf- uh, mm-hmm. award show right it wasn't uh, the Peabody's it wasn't something that, you know it's on theme <laughs> so I wanted I wanted to I say that to say I wanted to be creative in the way that I've the syntax of the way I was communicating and, and have kind of a little bit of rhyme and rhythm to it for it to connect. And uh, it was a, it was an artful space and I wanted to, you know, have a little bit of a prose in there as well. So but I was feeling the vibe of, of the folks I was, you know, uh, just kind of riding the wave. So um, at the conclusion of uh, and I'm not going to do it any justice, but I just I need to read. Yeah, read please it. just do the whole speech. I want to hear a reading. <laughs> this will not happen. But here's a reading of the last the last bit that you said. We've been floating this country on credit for centuries, yo, and we're done watching and waiting while this invention called whiteness uses and abuses us, burying black people out of sight and out of mind while extracting our culture, our dollars, our entertainment like oil, black gold, ghettoizing and demeaning our creations, then stealing them, gentrifying our genius, and then trying us on like costumes before discarding our bodies like rinds of strange fruit. The thing is, though, the thing is that just because we're magic doesn't mean we're not real. 
And it, if you have not seen Jesse Williams' speech in its entirety, it is four minutes and 33 seconds of pure gold and pure genius. And I bring that up because once I, once I watched the, the, the speech and reading the words as you were saying them, it put into greater context your new, your latest project. Mm, mm. And that's Ibroji. Yeah. You're wearing the hat right now. Yeah. I see where you're going. I like that. Yeah, it does. It does offer. I mean, everything has has to be rooted in some kind of, have some historical footing and be part of a larger narrative and uh, and be contextualized. And for uh, the advent of Ibroji, which lives right now as a, uh, I consider it like a cultural language extension tool, a GIF keyboard, GIF, G-I-F, um, keyboard that is highly curated around uh, what's often considered black language, black expression, black terminology, phraseology, which is to say American phraseology. And yes, that is a being, it was kind of our, our founders, myself included, just kind of were looking at the landscape of what's happening in tech, what's happening in social media, what's happening on all these forms of short form communication. Um, online, the, the kind of the evolution, the cycle, cyclical nature of language mm-hmm. uh, that we kind of started from pictographs and hieroglyphs and got into more elaborate prose and, and long form uh, and the structures of the way we communicate. And then it's now it's circling right back down to short form again and LOL and emoticons and then emojis OMG. And, and GIFs and mm-hmm. all these acronyms. We're getting back to shorter, faster, more efficient, but also more expressive. And what we were looking to do is figure out two things. How can black culture, cool culture, young, brown, non-white culture be in, stay included in the way we express ourselves without having their culture and their ex- forms of expression be pilfered and then sold right back to them later as a form of validation. The, the, the way we talk is often ghettoized and made something that we should be embarrassed about. It's slang. It's not proper English. But then it gets put in Webster's Dictionary and becomes the way. Now it's ubiquitous to call jewelry bling. I was about to say, but you're an making example fun of you've us. Mu- you've used yeah. it in the past is bling. It's, or, like, it's in the dictionary. Yeah, off the hook. Anything. Uh-huh. Like now it's on SportsCenter, said by white men, and it's become, it's okay. And, uh, you know, that's fine. Language is a process. Dialect is culture. Language is political inherently. And, and culture is expressed through language. And we wanted to figure out ways to uh, embrace that instead of run from it and also allow ourselves to be able to speak simply while also not shedding the complexity of language. There are many ways for me to say what. I could say mm-hmm. that 14 different ways. There's, there's a reason there's so many ways to say snow for Inuits, right? Because mm-hmm. there, embrace that. You don't have to shed that and cut your, lop your arms off to just say it the way corporate America decides is okay. You know, you said um, recently, if I, if I remember right, and I got this, and I got this wrong, uh, I think, you were talking about uh, how companies, corporations mm-hmm. are always—they're always chasing cool. Yeah, and I think you say, but we are cool. Yeah, right? what, I, yeah. What I was what saying there is what we see so often is pop culture and corporate advertisers, things that are people, corporations that are looking to market to people and tap into the zeitgeist, tap into what's cool. That's normal. That's always been the case. That's what their job is. I don't begrudge them that. But in doing that, uh, those entities, their job is to chase cool, find out what are the kids talking about? What's hip? How can we replicate that or somehow embody that in our products so they feel they can relate to it and buy it and attach themselves to that culture? That's the way that goes. But um, we are cool. We don't have to chase cool. Young black expressions, trends, fashion, dances, terminology is cool. The we talk the way you talk 
because everybody's going to copy you anyway. Mm-hmm. That's my philosophy on that. So we're <laughs> so often true. we're so often have to kind of wait for it to be filtered through an old navy ad that's going to sell me jeans and say they're on fleek. Now it's okay to say on fleek. When is it okay for me to wear my hair in cornrows? When a white girl does it who's on a reality show or something, and now it's okay, and we have to change the way what we call it. And there's a new thing that's funny coming out where, like, Tim's, Timberland boots, yeah. are now, like, the new fashion thing that's okay. We, you won't let us in your store because we're wearing Tim's. I re- there are well, rules. I totally forgot no about Tim's that. No Tim's allowed in the club, which means no blacks. Mm-hmm. No Heineken. We don't serve Hennessy. No hats. Finding all the uniforms to block entry, to create barriers of entry for black people. Um, uh, until it's decided that, it, you know, they have do-rags on high-fashion runways two seasons ago. I mean, You wouldn't what? let me in your establishment for that. So whiteness is a magic balm, right? It's a salve for so much. Just keeping those things in mind when we talk about the way we express ourselves, both physically, aesthetically, and also uh, uh, with language. You know, you also said, and, and I couldn't write it down fa- fast enough, um, you, you said something like, and maybe you, you'll remember... Like, language is political, mm-hmm. uh, and then there's the second half. Well, uh, and I yeah, there's kind of this triad um, in kind of our philosophy at Abroji, which is that language is political, that culture is language, right? And, and, that, and that culture influences politics. Uh, when we think about a whole range of things that um, I, I focus my time and energy on, a lot of that is on the ground uh, work around policy and legislation that's working with Advancement Project. or You're or, on the board, right? I am on the mm-hmm. board, yeah, as well as I'm also on the, the board of Sankofa, Harry Belafonte's organization, which c- combines art, art and activism. And, and when we think about whether it's actual police accountability or housing discrimination or voting, voter ID, any of these larger issues, it matters because it's policy that's often designed in an anti-black manner um, that actually hurts people. As Stokely Carmichael said, if a white man wants to lynch me, that's his problem. But if he has the power to lynch me, that's my problem. Mm. So, so when we think about race and the way the political core nature of language and cultural expression, it's not about feelings. It's about does it actually discriminate and hurt my chances to live my best life? Right? It's not just because it makes somebody feel bad. That's hard to measure and certainly hard to kind of regulate. What we're more concerned with is are you banning the way I express myself? You know, what I always find to be interesting for so long, black women's hair, so many black women's hairstyles that are uh, illegal, unprofessional. You can't wear them in corporate America. Mm-hmm. And those are really just hairstyles that white people can't do. <laughs> that's where the line is. Cornrows, dreads, plaits, different kinds of braids. That's, that's, it's just things that they can't normally do. Why is that? That's interesting. Um, so I feel that that extends to language and the way we express ourselves. It's, only, it's okay to say bling once it's, when it's said on The Tonight Show. Right. Well, you, you, you've actually said black language is ghettoized until it's appropriated. Exactly. Now, so you're putting it, if you put it in a different vessel, it becomes the only difference is the color of the skin from the person that's saying it. Hmm. You know, I'm you know, talking about uh, black language that's ghettoized until it's appropriated. I remember the first time I started seeing on fleek, mm. just sort of appearing from like, who is this? What's going on? And then I, I see, I think it was a, a vine or something mm-hmm. before vine went away. And seeing this young black woman yep. talking about her nails are done, her eyebrows yep. are on yep. fleek. And I'm sitting there trying to think, okay, I see how this is funny, but how does this become 
like magic. It's viral to the point where I'm watching an episode of Scandal, the show that comes on right after this. (laughs) And in the plot line, you have the candidate for president of the United States being videoed by his campaign staffers saying, you know, hey, is this on fleek? Right. (laughs) It's like, oh, no. And and, and what's the, the funny line of like what is and isn't cultural appropriation, and it becomes delicate and touchy for some people, but it's not about... It's about having equity, just like we're talking about policy or anything else. It's about just being equitable in the way we um, allow folks to live. And if it's oh, if it's if what's good for the goose has got to be good for the gander. If it if it makes me less than, it makes me unqualified or disqualifies me for social promotion or promotion at my job or to be taken seriously because I talk a certain way or wear my hair a certain way. Then does that apply to all of us, or does white skin absolve me of of, of that rigorous kind of level of judgment? Um, so it's fine for us. We all talk like each other and want to be cool, and we're all gonna as we get older are gonna be less cool. We're all going to be corny dads and moms and people that are embarrassing our kids. That's the way that goes. That's not specific to a culture, um, but it is about that's about kind of detachment and distance from what is that core cool. And um, that doesn't allow us to, uh, I think, um, demean in the process. I think we have to embrace some of that. So we got to talk. We have to talk about this this app, and I have it open in front of me the right app now. Is so and, dope. And and, and there are listings for all the gifs that you. And I am so happy to finally know how to pronounce G I F. It's gif. Gifs. I GIF. I mispronounced it now. Well, but now it is a battle going on. Okay, there's a oh, okay. war being waged around the pronunciation of this. I acknowledge that. I say it's gif because. Because the G stands for graphic. Okay. Now, that seems oh. that seems like the, the argument's over, right? Right. But apparently the gentleman who created the GIF pronounces it GIF. GIF. Uh-oh. I have a, uh, uh, that sticks in my craw, Jonathan. <laughs> I call it GIF because GIF. it stands for graphics and it just sounds better. And GIF is a peanut butter. <laughs> okay. So anyway, the gifts on on a brogy, and we we have these really cool curated categories that are really tied to what's happening in culture now. So so yeah, you're you're scrolling it, it, through the app now. I'm scrolling through, and really, this is how I this is how I think when I'm trying to come up with because yep. uh, I am an old man, but who loves to put in a, a gif or a splash or of color and, or and something fun to and, contextualize what you're saying. And so yeah, so um, one is angry. Angry, not amused, bad and bougie, badass, um, concerned, scared. Um, so I roll. For while you're, yeah, while you're texting right. your friends, while you're on a group chat, while you're on Twitter, you're communicating and you want to add a splash. You know, oof, I don't know about that. Mm-hmm. So you might go to side eye, you might go to not amused and have a whole bounty of gifts at your disposal. Yeah. I mean, I love I love these because oh, and there's a, of course yes yeah. and slay. I mean, it, so these are things that are designed for us to use the way we ought to meet you where you are, which is mm-hmm. what so many I think communities uh, uh, um, products are try to do is meet your your consumers where they are as opposed to having us constantly conform to your, somebody else's platform that wasn't really built for us, mm-hmm. and we swag it out for them and discover the cool. We get in that cave and we mine the gold and show right. you where the gold is. Instead of we just show you, we just put a reflection on your own gold mm-hmm. and, and let you come right to it. And the other thing that, that actually, I don't know why it surprised me, mm. 
But I'm thinking that I'm just going to see, exactly. since it's geared towards African, it's taking African-American culture and expression and putting it out there that I was only going to see African-Americans. Exactly. And that is not the case That's at exactly. all. There's probably more white people in a bro, white yeah. faces in a broji than, than other. The thing is, what we're just doing is we're centering it. So much of everything we consume is centered around whiteness. And then maybe they'll, do, they'll have to fill a quota and splash in some so-called diversity and, and inclusion. We are just it's starting from a perspective, a different perspective, a black perspective. We're going to include ourselves. I tell you, you know, so my my vision, my personal philosophy on this so-called diversity, um, Jonathan, this word that we use as this kind of burden, this thing. Oh, we got to have a diversity initiative. We're going to have to hire somebody who looks like Jonathan Capehart to teach us how to not be racist and to make sure to interview two <laughs> extra people. And it's this extra additive thing. And that's not how I view diversity. I view diversity as you're already doing the extra work. Just stop excluding us. Hmm. Take away a step. Don't add a step. Stop the process of exclusion. Then you got your diversity. You know, it goes. That's a different path. So I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't view the ad, the. Inc- I don't view the process of kind of including different faces as something that has to be more work. I think it's in fact less work. But I mean, you spent a lot of time in the early in the in the early weeks and months of this curating. Oh yeah, uh, gifts and stickers and 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 Very all sorts of things. What's the process? that you use because sometimes some things that we see particularly when it's an african american who's you know doing something an interview that goes viral like sure. anton uh, antoine Dodson. dotson yeah. um is it's at once amusing but also super uncomfortable you've got to be careful you've got to be careful and that's part of our our general philosophy is we're here to celebrate the most effective and best of our of our communication forms not to exploit or demean and you've got to keep in mind what's an inside and what's an outside conversation and we make this product though it comes from me and our staff and our co-founders uh it's for everyone this is not a product that is just for black folks mm-hmm. at all just like any other product that you like buy anything. is not just for white folks even right. though they only make it in flesh color and it's pink um but but we find a way to adapt and, and find our way to find a place for ourselves in it. And uh, when we do this, we make sure that there's no coonery, tomfoolery, shucking and jiving in our characters or caricatures, right? We don't have any eye popping. We don't use the N-word. We're not, we're not doing things that will degrade folks. Mm-hmm. Um, what I found as an actor, somebody who reads scripts for a living and, and looks at narrative storytelling, I, I see that in, particularly in the comedic spaces, people go really far out of their way to hurt others in the process of telling jokes, to mock an, a group, Indians, uh, you know, Native Americans, women, gays, whoever, all, all, often making the least powerful, punching down, mm-hmm. frankly, right? right? We don't have to punch down in order to have fun. It's, it's really not necessary. And, uh, and, and Abroji uh, is an extension of that philosophy. We're able to make sure that we're not the only ones using it. And if you're going to exploit an Anton Dodson, a, 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 um, what's her name, um, Sweet Brown oh, or something. Sweet Brown, yes. You know, like use it properly um, and, and, and us to just try to prevent ourselves from um, becoming the butt of our own jokes. We've all watched a show or a comedy bit where we see everybody's laughing, but they're laughing at you, not mm-hmm. with you. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a tightrope. That's just part of the black experience is you constantly have to be aware of that. Um, that's what Chappelle talks about with why he left. Right. When he was on set. And at a certain point, I don't know if you're laughing at us or with us. I need to go clear my head on this. Mm-hmm. And uh, w- one of the things um, you, you mentioned when you were talking about this 
can they use it against me or to mock our culture? Mm-hmm. Like, that's the that's the big question. Yeah, this is the, one of the added burdens of uh, you know being one of the many of being a, you know of color and particularly black. Uh, in this country is everything is a triple-edged sword you know is it my is it help me get in or is it also going to help quickly get me extracted from this scenario and and uh, we want to uh, make sure that we're able to celebrate our and we're an incredibly creative demographic just is true and we're cranking out a lot of content a lot of ways to express our feelings and and thought processes and experiences and we can communicate with a head nod Mm mm-hmm the slightest head nod, the slightest affectation tells you a story. Yep. It tells you a story. If you see two black men walking down the street and we give ourselves a head nod when we walk by and we don't know each other, we've all had that person. Do you know him? No. Nah. But we know, but there is something else that we do know. Right. That we've all experienced. And um, that's deep. You can't, what category do you put that in? You, you can't. I that's mean, the, the, Blackish did a whole episode yeah. on the nod. Yeah. And it was when I was with, um, on a trip to Rome a few, uh, gosh, almost 10 years ago. And a friend who lived in Paris at the time met me in Rome. Yeah. And we're walking around. It's at nighttime. We're leaving from dinner. And there are all these African-Americans that you just sort of run into. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're taught you better speak, yeah. especially when you or at least acknowledge. Yeah. And so walking along and I would nod yeah. and they would nod. And finally, my friend Brian said, do you know <laughs> everyone? Do you know them? Do you know all the, you're nodding to everybody? I said, I can't explain it. It's the code. Yeah, it's the code. It's acknowledging. Yeah. I think it's a little bit of like a, a survivor and survival mechanism. Mm-hmm. And we've all. Been through it. I see you. I, I got see you. you. I see you. I, I see got you. you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Those are both two categories. We have an I see you category <laughs> and an I got you category. All right. So speaking of categories, is Sweet Brown in there? Because I use I'm sure Ain't she Nobody is. Got Time for That. Ain't Nobody Got Time for That, time. Lord Jesus, it's a fire. <laughs> so um, for people who don't know, uh, one of the reasons why you are so passionate about African-American culture and African-American history is that you graduated from Temple the double major, African-American studies and, and media uh, and, arts. Yes, that's right. Film, media arts. Yeah. Fil- film, media arts. So you're, you're not sort of the way people stereotypically think of Hollywood people who just popping off to talk about stuff with no context, no history. You are deep right. in the. Uh, you studied this. You live it. You mm-hmm. studied it. You care about it. Yeah, that's right. I mean, this, I mean, this is who I am. I was uh, a student, uh, you know, first of all. And I lived a black experience in this country. I'm a student. I've also lived a a very privileged, uh, mixed race, light skinned, blue eyed, freckled experience. I've got a huge white family. I'm white. I'm black. That stuff informs uh, the 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 Swedish and American. Yeah, and uh, uh, I'm also male. I'm also straight. I'm also all these things are informing. And then you go into my my parents are both you know, socially conscious and active. And I, in college, I studied those things and I taught in high schools and, uh, and was an activist and organizer in Philadelphia. And, um, all these things, you know, plug into the who and the what and the why, um, you live and what your mission is and things that you care about. So that informs the choices I make as an actor, as as somebody who's politically active and, um, to, you know, I'm perpetually a student, I'm learning, but uh, but these are things that I obviously I wouldn't put myself at the risk that I do. None of this stuff helps my uh, <laughs> career in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. So uh, why would I be doing it if it wasn't something that meant a lot to me? How did you go from being because your first job out of college was high school teacher? Yeah. How did you go from there 
in Philadelphia. Yeah. To now being was it Dr. Jackson Avery? Yeah, it was a, on Grey's you know, Anatomy. I had I had uh, in the summers in Philly. I lived uh, at my friend's place. Um, in East Flatbush in Brooklyn. So that was my kind of intro to New York, was coming to New York. And the, New York is so close to Philly, I would hop that Chinatown mm-hmm. bus. A 12 bucks round trip, Chinatown <laughs> bus. Sometimes it would catch on fire. Sometimes it would get raided by the police. But otherwise, it's, a, it's an inexpensive way to move. And so I would go to New York a lot. I was fascinated by New York. I knew I didn't want to go there for college because I would likely drop out. It would be too distracting. But I was in and out of New York, and I, I, I um, was kind of uh, scouted by an agent to maybe do commercials and some modeling um, on the side if I had time to get to New York. I did a little bit of that. That kind of introduced me to that culture a little bit. I booked a couple commercials. Um, and then fast forward, once I graduated college and continued to teach and then came to New York and dabbled in, I worked law firms for a year and a half on, on, high, on high-level second request hostile takeover cases. I worked as a bartender and a bar back and a busboy. Soho Grand Hotel, Soho I believe. Soho Grand Hotel. I waited tables. Terrific um, experience there. <laughs> and um, and uh, then I called up that old commercial agent that I had and said, you know what? I'm having a bit of a quarter-life crisis, don't quite know what I'm going to do. But I really enjoyed a couple of the experiences I had acting. He had, he had sent me on a couple things. I almost booked a couple films in a TV show and got a contract offer on a TV show once that I turned down um, to, to finish school. I liked that it was an extension of my film. To answer your question, I was, I was making films as a, as a film major. Okay. And I, I loved the storytelling process. And I learned later in life that, uh, that acting is part of that storytelling process. I did not consider that to be part of it. I thought about producing, writing, the f- composition of the frame, things like that. But the actor, you'll get an actor and they'll say the words. Mm-hmm. And as I started to do that more and more, I realized, oh, I'm actually participating in this. And I really grew, to, grew to like it. And I took a shot and got lucky and started off Broadway doing an Edward Albee play and and uh, and kind of took it from there. I'm still winging it. Incredible. And in the process, you know, being a part of an, an incredible show like Grey's Anatomy. Yeah, being what a vo- privilege. Incredible show. Being Shonda. voted, oh my God, sexy. Wait, you, you, several, oh God. several distinctions here. I knew that there was a sexiest man alive. I didn't know that there was sexy man of the week. You got that too? Uh, well, it was a sh- slow week. It was a slow <laughs> week. Um, it was in February, so it was kind of like a six-day week, you know, as a holiday. Most people were out of town. Does it make your head spin? You see these things, you're like, come on, man. Is this really what I, my life I do is? my b- Yeah, it is bizarre. It is surreal. And I think that, you know, when you are... Um, when you try to be an active thinking person connected to the universe and you... Tr- um, I. Sometimes I, th- I feel misrepresented by things that are about optics and aesthetics and the, s- the beauty standards that somehow determine that I am attractive. Um, those things don't represent me. I have nothing to do with them. I didn't, I didn't earn them. I didn't beat somebody in a competition to get light eyes. And we happen to prioritize light eyes in this society. That doesn't represent me. It's got nothing to do with me. It's just the way I look. Um, so I don't take credit for it. And sometimes, it, yeah, it makes me feel uncomfortable. Um, but it also helps um, provide a platform. So the least I could do is try to use that platform. That's how I view it. So um, we started this conversation talking about your BET acceptance right. speech. And at another BET taping um, that um, BET did to celebrate the tenure of mm-hmm. President Obama, the love and happiness 
concert that they did on the South Lawn of the White House that yeah. happened a few days after the Italian state dinner, the president's last state dinner as president. We were both there. You were actually a part of the show. Mm-hmm. And you walked out and you said, <laughs> the first words out of your mouth were, and another thing. <laughs> yeah, that was. A, I wasn't sure if that was going to play. That was my first time appearing on TV and on BT since the speech. Um, so, yeah, I, I thought I would come out and pretend it was going to be a continuation of that. And it got a great response. People, mm-hmm. people got the joke. Um, Chappelle, in particular, gave me, just loved it. It was a great comedic timing, just loved the whole thing. So I got, I got approved by the greatest one alive, so that was cool. And, and so I bring that up because forget about talking about the actual love and happiness thing. Yeah. To me, the most incredible moment was the after party. Yeah, it was epic. It was really something special. The East Room, East Wing of the White House, uh, it was very black. And we're DJ D nice on the on the wheels and we're playing really great music. It's populated with people so full of joy. It was really, wouldn't you say, Jonathan, something that was like, Really joyful, but also kind of, the, it was a little bit of a mourn. It was kind of like a funeral celebration because we kind of know that it's ending. Right. The, right. So you feel sad. It's the end of an era, but it's a, rejo- a point of rejoicing. And something else that stuck out, stuck out to me in that room with all these folks of color, particularly black folks, dancing to our music and celebrating our culture and celebrating this great president, that really the people, forget the title, but the people mm-hmm. and the sacrifice they make and what they represent to us. But you're also in a room, keep in mind, surrounded with these grand paintings yep. of slave owners and just old uh, men of note, white men of note at the Former time that all, yep. all would have and, you know, have committed and were part of, you know, the way I view these things. I'm always going to be Debbie Downer. View these things as, you know, they were, they were guys were slave owners that oversaw atrocities or, of our people. And they're all stuck to the wall having to witness this new age. And for me, that juxtaposition was really surreal. In that room, in the East Room of the White House, is a a huge, beautiful portrait of President George Washington, mm-hmm. who is standing in profile, looking looking down. And what he's looking at is a an East Room packed with African Americans who are in this incredibly euphoric joyous, state. euphoric yeah. state, dancing, the DJ saying, here's another song you never thought you would hear right. in the White House. And then the floor would explode. My mother, I took my mother, seven, then 74 years old, and we were we you know, mm. ate a little something, and I thought, let's go into the East Room, because there, there's a DJ there, let's yeah. just go see. And my mom looks and there's a song that she likes so she goes on the dance floor and I figured okay she'll dance for a little bit I'll hold her bag Mm. and I'll hold this and that and I'll stand off to the side an hour later Miss 74 years old Miss Lady comes off that dance floor and she goes ooh okay I'm ready to go now meanwhile I've looked off to the right and I see a tall black woman thin in blue sequins and long hair and I said you know what there's only one person in the world who that looks like, hmm. that ain't Naomi Campbell. Yeah. And she turned around and was like, oh my God, it's Naomi Campbell. Am yeah. I in an episode of, of Empire? Empire yeah. Holy smokes. Yeah. But then the best part was my mom comes off the dance floor and she had already kicked off her shoes. Of course. So she was about to put on, put, she was putting her shoes back on. I was holding her, mm-hmm. putting her shoes back on, and then jamming came on. Oh, yeah. And she kicked those shoes off and went right back to the dance floor. And then I was like, well, shoot, this is the safest place on the planet. I'll put your purse right down here. And I went out and danced with her. And then all of a sudden, it was as if, and you were, 
I don't know if you were in the East Room or you were yeah. up in the residence with the president, but all of a sudden, everything in the room changed and people were screaming because the president and I guess Usher and Janelle Monet came into the East Those Room. doors opened like heaven's gate <laughs> and folks lost their minds yeah. where were you at that i moment? was i was on stage with i think Chappelle and d and and uh, and d nice so i had a good vantage point looking right down at those doors open just to my left the light cast in to this kind of dark dance floor room and we're celebrating him and them and the administration everybody's so happy and then they actually graced us with he actually graced us with his presence and joined the center of the dance floor it was just the icing on the icing on the icing on the cake. It was really, really um, a game changer. It, yeah, and it became this like almost uh, what do you call it? Uh, this uh, uh, everybody circled on the center. Everything mm-hmm. moved into this almost this mosh pit of joy. And I love what you said. You, you realize this is the safest place on the planet, and that that's what it felt like. It was safe for us to be us and to express ourselves and be happy and celebrate him and what this whole administration meant. It was just, it was just pure. It felt like a real kind of pure um, experience for, for folks to not have to feel any kind of cringe or apology or, 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 or lack of safety. It was really a blissful moment. Jesse Williams, co-founder of Ebroji, actor who plays Dr. Jackson Avery on Grey's Anatomy, Thank you so very much for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. This has been a joy. It's been a pleasure. Thank you guys for listening. Appreciate it. Download a Broji. It's free on all devices. Thanks for listening to Cape Up. Tune in every Tuesday. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. And how about doing me a huge favor? Subscribe, rate, and review us. I'm Jonathan Capehart of The Washington Post. You can find me on Twitter at CapehartJ. If you like Cape Up with Jonathan Capehart, you should check out some of our other great podcasts, like Can He Do That? with Allison Michaels, a podcast that explores the powers and limitations of the American presidency. Or try Other, Mixed Race in America, a mini-series of stories to make you think about race, identity, and what it means to be an American. You can find these shows anywhere you listen to podcasts and learn more online at WashingtonPost.com slash podcasts. The Washington 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 Post. Post.